listening to the Robbie Fowler podcast, powered by McDonald's. Well, hello, another week and another edition of the Robbie Fowler podcast brought to you by McDonald's McCafe, great tasting coffee made simple. The man himself, Robbie, joins us again live from India. It's myself, Chris McCarty and Rob. Hello, my friend. Chris, how are you, pal? Okay. We're all well. We're all good. The good news is, well, first and foremost, before I reveal the good news, it's not so good news for you this week. You've been in trouble with the refs over in India again. Uh, Well... Careful, yes, careful. Yes, yes, I have, I have. But, I mean, in my defence, as per, you know, I was looking after my team again. Um, I had, well, there was four officials from the other team who were surrounding my, my goalkeeper coach. And obviously me being suspended, I was uh, I was sat in the stands uh, and he was pushing him and uh, manhandling him. Uh, and I just shouted down, he's, he's having that. Uh, to the ISL and obviously one of their staff had heard that and then they started like sort of antagonising me then so I just told them to uh, to F off <laughs> and yeah so I mean look it's 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 an adult world isn't it you know and, and, I, and I swear Chris I swear I swear quite yeah. a lot but it doesn't make me a bad person no it doesn't no you're not going to hear yeah, anything yeah, different you, from you, me you had, a bit of, you had a bit of a pause there though <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, Rob. I, I, I swear like a trooper as well. It's uh, it's not nice for the kids listening in, but it happens, right? We're in an adult world, as you say. Yeah, no. Well, well look, if people want to get offended by obviously certain swear words, then you know we can only apologise for that. But uh, look, it, it again, there was there was a reason behind it, uh, and yeah, you know, it's like anywhere in the streets. If, if someone in your family, if someone in your you know close mates, uh, you feel as though they're getting. Um, picked on then you know you are going to say stuff you know and, and if if they sort of start antagonizing you back then you know you're not going to be nice to them are you you're going to no. say oi, oi, off your pot mate and in, <laughs> in a little bit more of a <laughs> a rounded message yes a little bit more scousing there involved in that as well yeah, i'm sure rob yeah i know but look i, I thought well i know i am I, I am in the midst of a of a suspension anyway but uh i, I just don't feel as though i'm getting any help chris it, it, it just feels as though yeah I am getting picked on a little bit. You know, it's, it's not nice. It's not nice. It's Man United fans is what it is. I'm convinced it be, of it, but I, I'm allowed to say that you are not. Speaking of Man United, I am delighted to say, and it's got nothing to do with me, but we've got a Man United legend on today's podcast. Yeah, he's a, he's a proper legend as well. Um, great player. And you, funny enough, we've mentioned him a few times in conversations over the uh, over the, the, the past six six weeks. I think he's won seven league, uh, not seven, he's won 11, 11 league titles he's won, hasn't he? Probably up there with one of the greatest midfielders I've played in the Premier League, actually. Uh, none other than uh, Mr Paul Scholes. Um, great player, great lad, and uh, he'll, give us, uh, he'll give us a little bit of an insight, I'm sure he will. Have you got your phone ringing, Rob, in the background? I have, yeah, I have yeah. Can I just answer it one sec? Ah, yeah, of course you can. You're a popular man, Rob. You've got... Who's that giving you a phone call? Is that the coaching staff? Is that a debrief, is it? That's probably no, the Indian FA. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They've got another gripe. Oh, I know, I know. 
Because I've, uh-huh. it's just because I've just swore, just because you used a bad word. They've got the telecommunications <laughs> to give them a little uh. word that Robbie swore again. <laughs> we were talking all things schools again. I just want to maybe just touch on because a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, of a Liverpool persuasion, no doubt about that. There'll be one or two that are probably having a grumble that we're talking to a Man United great. But that rivalry, talk to me about what it meant to you growing up and then being a player. The Liverpool United rivalry. Yeah, well, it's 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 a bit of a strange one actually because obviously I grew up in the in the eighties when obviously Everton and Liverpool were were by far the better teams. Man United were all right, but they just weren't the Man United that that they they, they grew out or they, they grew into. You know, in the nineties with everything. So you know, me as a, as a, certainly as a player for Liverpool, my first game was always I wanted to play Everton. You know, that was the big game. But obviously then the, the rivalry does kick in and you realise how big the game is and, and how passionate it is for, you know, from a fan's perspective. Uh, and that takes over. So you probably want to do it a little bit more for the fans. Now, I'm quite my own person. And uh, I think from a from a fan perspective, you, you feel as though you've got to really, really dislike them. Uh, I never, in all honesty, never really hated Manchester United. Um, I never cared that much about them to hate them you know I was more interested in in what I was doing and what I, and what, what my team is doing uh, and my focus was just on on that um, so I mean the hatred wasn't there I, I wanted to beat them the same way I wanted to beat every other team uh, but when you are playing I mean you realise and you understand what it means from a, a fan point of view uh, and that's all I can say on that Chris in all fairness and we've spoken in the past about this it's fair to say Rob and I don't want to put words in your mouth but I guess a little bit of jealousy on the fact that they were doing what they were doing yeah, oh yeah that's it's not in a little bit there was a lot of jealousy in all honesty because they wanted well I wanted what they were having which was uh-huh. to win in leagues and win in Champions Leagues uh, well, not Champions League, Champions League, I should say. <laughs> yeah, just the one <laughs> but, uh, for us. That was me growing up, obviously growing up. Yeah, just the one, yeah. Uh, in, in my time, certainly, anyway. But, yeah, look, I, I respected them. You know, I respected the players. Uh, I thought, yeah, a great bunch of lads in terms of off the pitch and people going about, well, well, maybe you sort of hate them uh, because of who they are. You, you, you were obviously tinged, tinged with jealousy because of what they were winning, what they were achieving, because you want to do that. And, and every football player who was sort of certainly coming up against them wanted what they had. Um, and look, it, it wasn't through the lack of trying from from our end. We were just obviously simply not good enough, you know, to sort of get over that, you know, that final that final hurdle, if you like. Yeah. Um, and even when we went away down with England, and a lot of a lot has been made up about, uh, or you know, players didn't mix or you know you were here with this clan and the Manchester United lads were there that was that's always the case and that's not saying we didn't like them or we didn't want to mix with them but it's like going to a you know to, well it's a bad probably analogy this but it's like going to a party with all your mates you know you're not going to go into that party with all your mates and then go and <laughs> chat to another another gang of lads are you you're just going to no. stay there with your mates so that was what it was with uh, certainly the Liverpool Manchester United thing Manchester United had a few players in the squad and Liverpool had a few players in the squad uh, and quite rightly if I'm eating my breakfast or if I'm eating my dinner I'm going to go and sit with, with the likes of Macca Jamie Redknapp Rob Jones all my Liverpool mates whereas uh, the likes of Scaldi Bex um, you know Andy Cole or you know Gary Neville would, would would all sit next to each other. Nicky Butt would all sit next to each other, and that that's not saying that we we disliked each other. You know, it might be different from from obviously their end, but I'm speaking from, from certainly from my point of view. But yeah. there was never any reason not to 
not talk to them because obviously of who they were, who they were playing for. Put, put something to bed for me, uh, and I can't quite recall who said this. I'm sure someone told me a number of years back that going into that England squad, the players were in awe a little bit. You'd look to the man you boys to see what they were doing in training and you'd kind of follow suit. Is that nonsense or did you kind of do that? Did the United guys elevate the, the training in England? No, not I mean, that's, that's disrespectful to all the other lads who were in the squad, I think. When you're thinking of England squads and the the the, the absolute great players who who uh, you know were, were mastering uh, the Premier League or whatever league they were in at that time, I think mean, that's massively disrespectful to them. So don't get me wrong, there's some great players for Manchester United, but whenever you went to an England squad, there was great players uh, all, yeah. all all around. So yeah, uh, I don't get that. I don't take that on board. Uh, obviously, players. You know, enjoyed going for England. I never enjoyed going for England because I never played. You know, it might have been it might have been a case if I was playing, oh, I'd love being there. But I never really had a great affinity with England because uh, because I just never played. You know, that that's simply I want I wanted to play all the time. If, if you go into it's like me being at Liverpool when I was sub. I didn't enjoy it. I wanted to play. And that's understandable because you're a professional footballer that loves to play the game. You talk affinity there, not having an affinity with perhaps England because of the reasons you've outlined. One individual you did have an affinity to, and I want to touch on this briefly, is Sir Alex Ferguson. Because let it be known, you and him have got a real good relationship. Yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't... I wouldn't say we were best buddies, but I mean, I've got I have got a lot of time for him. Um, I mean, for what he's achieved in a game is is absolutely incredible, and uh, it is it's just unbelievable. Uh, and I've, I have always admired him to be fair, because the simple fact is that you hear stories and you read about him, and you know you read his books, and um, you know as, as much as again there's that, there's that little bit of jealousy there because of what he what he's achieved, uh, and you want a bit of that. Uh, but yeah, I, I've got nothing but admiration for for what he's done for the game, and and certainly as as a man, you know, I've got so much time because you know, I mean, I've reached out to him, you know, quite a few times actually, and uh, you know, he's been on the phone back to me, he's, he's sent me messages, uh, and I mean, I can't thank him enough, I really can't, because certainly when I went over to uh, to Brisbane Raw as uh, as manager, uh, there was two people I contacted because I wanted to to use their words of wisdom. Uh, in a in a like a motivational talk, if you like, and and obviously Sir Alex was one, uh, Jurgen Klopp was another one. So you know, I used their words of wisdom and their like you know two three minute chats uh, and put them on a you know TV for all the lads to to to, to listen to and look at, uh, and you know it had the desired effect. It really did. You know the the lads still talk about it now. Uh, I mean, I've got a player here now in East Bengal who, who I've brought uh, from Brisbane, uh, and funny enough, he mentioned it the other day. Uh, and obviously that for a man to do that when let's be honest he doesn't have to you know he could have absolutely fobbed me off and you know threw me to the side but you know I know he's got a lot of time for you know you know for players because I've spoke to Scholes I've spoke to a few others you know various Manchester United players and and he can't do enough you know certainly for that era of players so you know for him to go out of his way and and just do that for me and send me a video of this motivational talk I mean, I just, I, I just loved it because I just thought it was a real incredible gesture as well. It is an incredible gesture, and I believe through third parties, we can't get this confirmed until we get the man himself. Maybe a future edition of this podcast. He was interested in you once upon a time. That's what you've heard, anyway. 
Yes. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I don't know how true it was, but you know, your various rumours and uh, these folklore stories fly about, and uh, I'd, I'd heard that obviously Sir Alex had obviously tried to sign me. Uh, he was really, really interested, and I, th- I think he realised Liverpool at the time were probably maybe struggling for a few players. Uh, I'm not sure what positions, uh, and obviously the third party told me that he's willing to swap any player. Any player in the squad apart from Paul Scholes that is by, by by getting me to Man United. Now, <laughs> what have I went there, Christopher? Yes, you probably would've. not. I'm saying I'm saying probably not, but the, the answer is probably no, right? Because obviously my, my my love for Liverpool and and not on not on beats that, Chris. You know that. Oh come on now, Rob! If if Liverpool agree to take Gary Neville and a packet of crisps for you, you're at Old Trafford <laughs> in a blink of an eye. <laughs> Look, you're not putting words into my mouth. I'm not even. I'm not even going there. No, the fact is, I can't go there because it's just a third party. So you don't really know if it's true. But I, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's on good good authority that it was. Uh, yeah, that was that was going to be the case. So yeah, imagine no, imagine me playing for Man United. Hey. I, I oh, look. I'm a, I'm a Liverpool lad. I I want to walk around the streets of Liverpool. I would oh. never be allowed. Rob, you would have had winners' medals around your neck, hey, Premier listen, League I, winners' I, medals. I, I'm, I'm glad I haven't got them, then, Chris. Paul Scholes feeding Robbie Fowler, number nine at Old Trafford. Wow, hey, thirty-five he a, he goals. Had, he had a chance to do that with England, but I wasn't playing. <laughs> 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 Listen, we are going to be inviting Paul Scholes into the conversation in just a second. You've got to just do this for me, though, Rob, because a lot of people will forget the hoopla surrounding Eric Cantona's return, the comeback, October 1995. You scored two goals that day. People forget that. You had the peroxide blonde hair. Talk us through that because you looked like an absolute numpty. <laughs> Have you ever been blonde, Chris? No, I haven't. I wouldn't uh, suit well, to it. be fair, you didn't need to because I looked. I see a picture of you do it. You, you put it on with your your missus when you first met her, and <laughs> yeah. you look and you look like an absolute knobhead. So what has she done with you? <laughs> hey, she's done you the world of good, by the way. <laughs> uh, so oh, yeah, brilliant. about that game. Yeah, you know what I remember about about it, it was probably one of my greatest seasons for Liverpool actually, and I'd scored two at uh, Anfield that year as well. And ironically, funny enough, that was the year we lost the FA Cup final. And I've spoke to Gary Neville a few times, um, and he said that he admitted to me that like Liverpool were better than Manchester United that year, but obviously Man United won the league, and for for reasons, yeah, we don't really need to go into in terms of uh, certain results. You know that that was probably the case, but he admitted that. Um, and that was that was that game where we we went to Old Trafford. Uh, it was deemed as the the Cantona comeback and. I think he scored after about... Uh, he did. No, uh, a penalty. Well, he set it up, actually. He set up a Nicky Butt after about five yep. minutes. And I, I scored two goals. Two, uh, two probably my best goals, actually. The first one I remember very, very well, which was obviously a, um, a near post uh, fumbler blaster. <laughs> it <laughs> a was. A fumbler blaster from an angle. But the re- I think I scored, because uh, I, I used to love scoring against matches tonight. I love, love scoring goals, but... When, when you're playing big stadiums and you're playing a good team against good teams and you're playing against good keepers, I always wanted to score and do that a little bit more. And uh, I'd scored, obviously, the two goals. But the first one, a few minutes before I actually scored, I was in the same position and I crossed it to Rushy. And for some for some unknown, bizarre reason, Rushy missed from about four or five yards. And I think that's probably why uh, Peter Schmeichel sort of went over to the left a little bit and left that little space 
Uh, I mean, you'll remember it because I do. Yeah. I do. But that, he, he sort of uh, went to his left a little bit because I thought he was. He thought I was going to maybe cross it again, but uh, I mean, I caught it really sweet left foot. Uh, the second goal. Um, I mean, look. Let's just say Gary Neville was. Uh, he, had, he, had to, <laughs> he had to pay to get back in for the uh, the Fowler muscles. <laughs> Give him a little bit he of a really shoulder did. badge. Yeah. He really did. He went scuttling off, and then the finish. Oh. And the reason why uh, I chipped it was because if you watch it again, uh, Peter Schmeichel, he lost his footing a little bit just before I got to him. So that sort of made up my mind. And I knew that when you're up against keepers, you sort of have this uh, this sort of vision in your head what you're going to do. But he made up my mind because he wasn't set. Now, Peter Schmeichel, when you go one-on-one with him, he normally gets set and he n- normally makes the goal as tiny as possible. Uh, but this particular time, he never because he never he, he never got his feet set. So I knew what I was going to do, uh, and to to pull off a little chip like that, leaving Gary Neville in the wake, uh, leaving Peter Schmeichel in the wake. Yeah, I was happy with that. But again, <laughs> we never won the game. <laughs> <laughs> we, we should have won the game. We, uh, to be fair, hey, uh, let's talk about it again. You got your dodgy penalty in the end at Old Trafford again, Chris. Yeah, it was Jamie Redden up on Ryan Giggs. I've watched yeah. it a few times. Stonewall penalty is what it was, Rob. Stonewall. Well, yeah, well, no, was it really, though? Was it a stonewaller? Nah. nah, it wasn't. It wasn't. Giggs, he went down a bit, bit softly. And, of course, it was the chance for the King to step up and yeah. score the equaliser. And yeah. the rest is history from there. Yeah, it was as well. And I remember him dancing around that pole. As well, yeah. the back of his old, like, like a lap dancer he was, Chris. <laughs> Eric Cantona, a lap dancer yeah. extraordinaire. You heard it here first. Well, listen, one man who is standing by, he can add a little bit more life to all of this. I'm delighted to say, Rob, nothing to do with me. I said last week I'd deliver. It's your black book that's delivered once again. Who's our guest this week? None other than the, the master himself, Mr. Paul Scholes. This is the Robbie Fowler Podcast. Powered by McDonald's. McDonald's McCafe. Great tasting coffee. Simple. Dubai Eye 103.8. Hello, can you hear me? There he is. Scholes, how are you, pal? Hi, mate, you okay? Yeah, good, pal, yourself? Yeah, sound. Good, mate, good. You in India, though? I'm in India, but can't you tell by me tan? <laughs> How's it going? All right, mate. I'm just uh, getting in a little bit of trouble with all the referees and the um, the, the various people who run the departments. Yeah, I, I, f- I feel as though I'm getting picked on, Scoldy. <laughs> Why would they pick on you, mate? I'll tell me about. It. I don't know. I, I actually couldn't tell you. What team are you with? Uh, East Bengal. East Bengal. How many games have you had, Rob? Uh, we've played uh, 17 games, but we've only got three games, so it's 17? only a show. 17, mate, yes. Well, in all fairness, I know we are night in the league, mate, but, but we're actually better. I know everyone will say this, but we are actually better than that. We've, we've been very, very unlucky, mate. We're having uh, so many issues with referees, you know, players getting sent off when they shouldn't, penalties going against us, lots going against us, mate, but, but we'll soldier on as per, as per normal. Yeah, have you took Granty over with you? Granty's with me, mate, yeah. He's, uh, yeah. If, well, ironically, so I, I'm, I'm getting charged and Granty done an interview after the game because I couldn't do one. And Granty's yeah. up on a charge as well, so... <laughs> I, 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 just, just, I don't think they just... I don't think they like us, Scalzi. <laughs> They're all United fans, aren't they, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> That's exactly it. Well, listen, I want to, I want to get, it, get started if we can. Paul, great to have you. First and foremost, uh, seventh guest 
on the Robbie Fowler podcast. The good news is as well, our first Man United legend, and as a self-confessed Man United fan, Scolzi, I'm bloody delighted is what I am. <laughs> I'm cock-a-hoop this week. And, and we were just reminiscing, Scolzi, about, uh, I'll take you back, I'm going a long way back here, 1993, you and Robbie were teammates for England under 18s at the European Championships, a tournament that you won. Any memories of that? Can you remember that far back? <laughs> Just about, yeah. Um, no, we had a good team. I, I, I wasn't in the team, really, from, from the start of the tournament. Uh, uh, no, you uh, was. You know yes, you, yes, was you was. Yeah, you, Did you I play the first game? You Did played I? the first game. I, I actually, I actually right. came on for you in the first game. Really? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah and then I had goals here and then kept my place. <laughs> And then you went on yeah. to win a, and then you went on to win eleven league titles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I think I had a bad game in that first game. I don't think I played again. Did I start again until maybe the final? The or final, something? the final. And yeah. I think he only played the final because somebody was injured. Um, but no, we had a good team, didn't we? Yeah, it was um, good. Actually, it was good. Like see you and Sal Campbell and Darren Caskey, Nicky Butt, obviously Gary Neville as well. Gary Nebs, yeah. Um, Trying to think who else. Take the lads from Leeds, Tinks. Yeah, um, Jamie Forrester, Sharper, Kevin Sharp. Yeah. It was a good good team, wasn't it? Quite a bad yeah, team. Well, well, you've just named the team there's Goldie, so your memory's all right. <laughs> yeah, it's not that bad, is it? I've yeah. got pets over there. I'm just, just looking at it. <laughs> there's probably all darts, a... all darts in around my face, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> just the scousers, yeah, just the scousers. <laughs> I, I know you're not like that anyway. I know you're like No, no, I'm kidding. You know I'm kidding, don't you, Rob? I know, of course, mate, of course. But do you remember the Holland team we played against? Yes, I do, actually, yeah. Uh, Cliver, didn't he? Cliver. Cliver. Seedorf as well, not played, yeah. Um, yeah. Did we beat them 5 at Walsall? Did you score yeah. a trick or something? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was 5-1. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, 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 you're spot on, I did score a hat-trick. It's <laughs> 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 probably the only success we had in an England shirt, really, Robbie, wasn't it? Well, you had more than me, but I'll tell you, if, God, uh, yeah, I, Not funny sure. enough, we talk about England here, and I'm sure we'll mention it, but did you ever see, um, th- there's been a lot made of yourself and there's been uh, yourself, Lampard, uh, and obviously Stevie G, and whether everyone could play in the same team. Now, look, I know you're a tremendous player. Uh, I know Lamps is a tremendous player. I know Stevie G is a tremendous player. But could, could never an England manager so, or fit you into that same team? Um, I don't know, Robbie. I think it, it's, somebody must have tried it. I'm sure Sven must have tried it. But really, it was only two centre midfield players, wasn't it? So we had to choose two out of three of us. I might might have started a couple for him in, in there, but I was the one. Well, I don't like saying I was the one got pushed out to letter. I didn't actually mind playing out there. I mean, I'd done it for United loads of times. Giggs obviously had injury problems with his hamstrings quite a bit and it, it was a position I didn't mind playing really didn't mind playing just for with England it, it just didn't seem to work and the three types of players we were at that time it, we, we didn't I don't think we really there was a balance there was it well Scholes that's what I obviously want to I'm alluding to in all fairness so I get you. There's maybe not the balance that probably everyone wants and that perfection that you probably need to, you know, to 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 win international games. But why doesn't the manager just change formation to suit whatever's best for you to play instead of trying to fit you all into this rigid four four two or a four four one one formation? Why why didn't he change the system to to play you all? Because for me, that seems what you've got to do. 
well, if, if he thinks of the best players and he wants to play his best players, then yeah, I agree. He probably does need to find a formation to do that. Uh, what I would say, Robbie, when I when I was that age and in around the England squad, then I wasn't. I'd never played that sitting role, you know, yeah. as I went on to do from being thirty, just over thirty. That that Alex Ferguson made me do. You know, he didn't make me do, but he saw that as my position for the next five or six years. If I'm, I'm going to prolong my career, I'd never actually done that for England and. Frank and Stevie, you couldn't see either of them doing that role. So all three of us, we all wanted to just run forward. And mm-hmm. as you know, Robbie, that that's just it's just not going to work, is it? So oh, cool. he, he tried to find a balance, but unfortunately, we, we just couldn't do it. Just on that, Scolzi, because you don't come across as a confrontational kind of man, but did you knock on his door? Did you knock on the manager's door and say, hey, listen, I'm not a left midfielder. You've got to try and fit me in a position that's going to get the best out of me. No. No, that, that's something I'd never do. All my time at United, I don't think uh, I ever even went to see the manager if I weren't happy not being left out. It just, I just got on with it and, and tried to work harder and, uh, and do better and get in, get in the team again. And I, as I said, there's quite a lot made of me going out to the left-hand side. I, I probably didn't do it that often um, with England. I, I can't count how many times. I, I really don't know. But as I said, I didn't mind that left-hand position left-hand side position. I was never going to be a winger. Rafi would say I was never going to be a one like Giggsy running on the outside and great skill and going past the player and crossing the ball. That was never me. I had to be more clever and play inside left, really. And when I played there for United, I don't know what it was, but you seemed to get a lot of freedom and I scored a lot of goals from that position as well. Just for England, it just never seemed to work. I always think, and again, following your career closely, Scolzi, I always look back to 2001, the arrival of a certain Juan Sebastian Veron, and, and you're kind of, you've already alluded to it, you were never the one to knock on, on Fergie's door. Did that arrival of, of Seba, though, did that change your outlook at all? Was there ever a time that you, you actually came close to leaving United? Because I know Seba, when he came in, that was the, the kind of change for Man United, that Fergie was looking for this continental style, he was looking to crack Europe once more. More. Did your mindset change at all upon his arrival? Well, I, I knew I had a job on me and sustain the team because I, I played against him a few times and I knew what a sensational player. And then just training with him a few times, you knew how good he was. But uh, as Robbie said there, I, I think the man had tried to fit three of us in. So there was, there was me, there was Nicky Ball at the time as well, and, and, and Seb obviously came in and Roy. So we played different, especially in Europe. We did play the five in midfield at times to so try and accommodate that. And it was a time, you, know, you do think, look at your time up. The way we were playing at the time, you're playing a 4-4-2, so there's only two central midfield players and it's Roy Keane plus another. It was simple as that. But you know, you've got to face it. You've got to say, look, we bought this lad for 30 million quid. He's brilliant. I know he's brilliant, but it's up to perform and train every day. And when you play, if you play, You've got to perform and, and, and try and keep your place. I think that was that was good for us. It's all about competition. Isn't it? it gives you a little kick up the backside that that you might have needed, and hopefully, the better form comes out of that. I think it helps that you were a good player, goals as well, doesn't it? I think I think that sort of um, helps. You know, uh, you know as much. And I know, oh, I know, I know what you're like, and you're incredibly humble, and you know, you you, you don't like people talking about you all the good things. But I mean, what I like about you is. Uh, the way you play, I mean, you make the game look easy. You, you, you simplify everything. Uh, your range of passing is extraordinary. You can mix it with the best of them. Yeah, your composure on the ball. Uh, I, I just you for me are probably one of the, the complete players. 
And there's there's lots of players throughout the certainly our era and you know, when they've spoke about you, you know, they all talk about you in the highest esteem. Now that must give you such immense immense proud being a being the player that you was. Yeah, it's brilliant when you hear other players even. Thanks for that, Robbie. That was nice as well. But <laughs> yeah, it's lovely when you hear players talk nice of it. And that's what you want. That's you know, that, that's where you get the ultimate respect from the ultimate pride is what your what your teammates who've played with you, what fellow players who've played against you respect what you've done. And I, I look, I, I try to be as as best as I possibly could. I've, I've changed positions so many times throughout my career, and it wasn't until the passing that you talk about there, probably probably till I was 28, 29, and position changed, and I had to become a passer because, uh, as Robbie would probably tell you, I wasn't a great athlete. I wasn't a lad who could get around the pitch brilliantly. So I had to be I had to be different than other people, and you know, I, had to, I had to be more clever than other people. Well, on that then, Scolzi, what was the period of your career you enjoyed the most? Because you were at a kind of number 10. You were then that midfielder that would get beyond the strikers. I think of the treble winning season, that's where you kind of made your name. And then, as you've alluded to, the older you got, you became this deep-lying midfielder. What period of your time at United did you enjoy most yourself? It's really hard to, to say. I, I enjoyed most of it, to go say. Like you say, I started off as a number 10, probably started off as a number nine, but more so as a 16, 16 year old kid, really playing in the A and B team as I would have done against Robbie and probably in the England team as well. I wasn't really a central midfield player. I was more of a forward. And there's nothing, there's nothing better than scoring goals. Robbie will tell you that you now, the amount of goals he scored. Um, there's no better feeling. But as a, if you, well, if you look at me physically, I was never going to be a centre forward. I, was, I wasn't. I wasn't quick. I wasn't strong. I wasn't great in the air. I wasn't big enough. Um, so I, I had to adjust my game. And it's funny, Eric Harrison, our youth team coach, always said you'll be a centre midfield player, and I could never see it because all I wanted to do was be a centre forward and score goals. But he, he, he was dead right. Then I became a midfield player who just ran forward. Um, was only interested in scoring goals. I'm not sure what Roy Keane or Nicky Butt or Michael Carrick would, would have thought of that because I left them, <laughs> I left them, I left them alone in the middle of the pitch most of the time. But you know that's part of being in a good team. I, I had the license to do that because I knew what was behind was brilliant. But you asked Frank Lampard what he had behind him was brilliant. He had Claude McAuley to do all his dirty work. He had two great centre halves behind him. The only thing he had in his mind was to score goals, and he, he was brilliant at doing that. And then I went on into me late 20s, early 30s, and the manager could see that physically, I was, as I said before, I, I wasn't a great athlete. I couldn't get up and down the pitch all the time. When you come to 30 years of age, you have to just stay and, con- and try and control the game. And that's what the manager tried to get into me. I remember a, a Champions League game against Bayern Munich at home, and he said to me before the game, I don't want you, I don't want you move, I, I don't want you near their penalty area. I just want you to sit in the middle next to Roy Keane, pass the ball, and just just play, just con- control the game. And after the game, I, I, I was going on thinking, what did I actually do in that game? Because I was so used to getting forward and, and trying to create goals and having shots on goal and scoring goals. But I never, I weren't doing any of that. And I didn't really like it. I didn't enjoy it. I, I want to be, I want to affect the game. Um, I don't just want to sit back and be there as a body and control and, and let other people do it. I, I, I've got the ability to to affect the game and the day after the manager said you were brilliant last night exactly what I wanted I just I still couldn't get my head around it but as your legs start to go a little bit and you can't you can get forward but you can't get back 
<laughs> you get used to it a little bit more and I, and I started to enjoy it a lot more towards you know, you're 30 to 35 whatever it is I love playing that role but I think as a goal scorer midfield player that's where I probably enjoyed it most to answer your question Scolzi, did you um, did you feel as though you could control a game a little bit more when you were sitting deeper? Uh, you, I know you mentioned before about you wanted to be that player, who, uh, maybe the, the ten or the striker who, who could affect games by by scoring goals. But do, do you not think as a, as a six or that older midfielder you can control a little bit more of the game and uh, and certainly control the players and and the various elements of uh, football games? Yeah, uh, and that's that's what my role became, Robbie, from being twenty nine thirty. 30 years of age and I enjoyed it but like I said I didn't enjoy as much as uh, as scoring goals but when, when you are in that position that's that's what you have to do it wasn't you know, as a Man United midfielder I, I, you, know, you hear so many people talk about a number 6 or number 8 or number 10 but as a midfield player at United you felt like you had to do everything yeah. it wasn't just a number 6 it wasn't just a number 8 attacking your role in the team was, was to do absolutely everything. You had to go forward. You had to pass the ball forward. You had to come back at times. You had to stay with your runners. You had to stay with your, with your midfield runners. Um, you had to come back and help your centre-arms. Now it's just all, it's all you're a six. Stay in there, control, stay with your runners. You don't have to go forward. Or it's your number eight who does go forward. It gets involved in attacks. But my, my role did become different. And like you say, you can see everything. And you, you do get a satisfaction out of it. And like I said, legs were high, so it wasn't great. But the players I had around me were so good. It didn't really matter. I didn't need to go forward. We had such special talent. And you'll, you'll know our, our full centre-forward rubber. Just get the ball to them. It was yeah, sensational. You've got David Beckham on one side. You've got Giggsy on another side. You've got Cristiano who came in. So many great players. So... Really, for that two in midfield at Man United, you, you didn't need to do anything. All you had to do was get the ball to these players and play your position well. Yeah, sounds top. easy. It sounds easy when you say it like that, Scolzi. And you have talked there the litany of world-class players. You'll have had the question a million times before, but the, the player that perhaps surprised you the most, you know, I could ask you the, about the best players you've played with. I think they're pretty obvious. But a signing or a player that Fergie brought in that on training on day one, you kind of stood up or, or sat up and went, wow, bloody hell, he's a player. Yeah, the, this might not be a surprise, but it was Ruben Van Nistelrooy. You know, with Dutch football, we didn't really see a lot of Dutch football in them days. It'd be, I hadn't really seen him. I'd, I'd heard of him, obviously. We, we'd apparently signed him and then he, he got that bad injury, so he's out for a year or whatever it is, nine months. And then he had to play a little bit before we signed him. It was, it was 20 million or something like that at that point. And I remember seeing him in training the first day, and I, I thought, wow, just a little, just a little finishing session. He, he, he was ruthless. Uh, you know, just whether it, he just scored from anywhere, he could score from. I know he didn't score a lot of goals from out of the box, but once you gave him a chance, and it wasn't just a little place in the corner like Robbie used to do. It wasn't a side foot or a chip or a dig. He used to absolutely smash it and absolutely smash it and give the keeper absolutely no chance and. I had a really good partnership now. I felt like I knew what he wanted. He knew what I wanted. So for a year, I think I played number 10 with Rude actually and scored the most goals I did in a season. And look, I love playing with him. I thought I thought it was brilliant. He lived for scoring goals. A bit like you, Rob. 
in that regard Rude lived to score goals the thing with Rude as well and that was the same summer with Seb uh, Juan Sebastian joined I think the same summer if memory serves me summer of 2000 and 2001 I think it was with Rude though his time at the club I, I know there's been a lot written and said about his perhaps relationship with Cristiano he wasn't he wasn't I guess patient enough to let Cristiano grow into the man and the player that he became what was the relationship like on the training ground there between those two? Uh, <laughs> it's a long time ago it's difficult to remember um, I don't think it was brilliant towards the end put it that way um, I think Rude was someone who loved simpleness simple service so uh, you talk about David Beckham or Ryan Giggs it was for David Beckham especially when he's crossing the ball it's one touch and bang he's whipping it in and I said to fall Robbie will tell you it's a lot better when you actually know the ball's coming in. I think the frustration <laughs> Rude had with Rude had with Cristiano was that uh, he had no idea when it was coming in. <laughs> I don't think Cristiano knew either. <laughs> I think when, when you when you think of obviously Cristiano and, and goals, you're better equipped than me because you trade with him every day. But when he first went to went to Man United, he he, he wasn't the the complete player that we've all seen Cristiano grow up to. He did probably over elaborate at times and do a little yeah. bit too much and. I suppose when you, I mean you've just spoke about the players at Manchester United and obviously Sir Alex and what their demands are for for games. Then if you're not maybe doing things simple and you're probably over elaborating at times, I mean that's incredibly frustrating. Not only for the players, but but certainly for for, for the management side of them as well. Yeah, look, Robbie, when he first came, it was it was very frustrating. But he was just that type of person. He was an entertainer. He felt like he had to entertain people and. Over elaborate is probably the right way to speak about him. The amount of times he cut across it, but he, he wanted to take the Mickey out of the, the full back and come back and do it again, take so many touches. And Rude just began, well, not, not just Rude, I think at the start, probably all of us were a little bit frustrated yeah. with him. And he had to learn. He had to learn. And you have to say, he learned very quickly. I remember one of his, probably not one of his first games, it was well into it. He played AC Milan away. I think he was playing against Maldini. Maldini at the time was left back. He was coming to the end of his career and you really fancied him. You thought, look, Maldini must have been 38, 39. Cristiano was 21, 22, with a flying, flying winger. But every time, Gattuso, remember Gattuso? Yeah. He just kept running over to him, helping Maldini and just taking the ball off him. And that was so frustrating because he didn't want to just pass it. He didn't just want to pop it off. He wanted to beat him. He could beat Maldini. He wanted to show he could beat Gattuso. But it was frustrating for everyone. And you have to say, and he, he's diving as well at one point as a young player, it was a nightmare. But he, he, he quickly learned. Um, he quickly learned and you know, we see what a player he's, he's gone on to. I never actually, say I never saw him doing what he, what, what he did and what he's doing now. You knew the potential was there and he was, he's training. I've never seen a trainer like it, Robbie, a professional like it was... Yeah was brilliant. He knew he had to get bigger and stronger. He did that. And what he's done now is just it's unreal, isn't it? It's actually quite a, it's quite a frightening thought, really. But you're talking about him there. You're saying there you never actually seen the best of him at Man United, albeit he was no. still he was still a tremendous player. But it was not until sort of he left Manchester United he became this this unbelievable superstar and, and quite rightly spoken yeah. about in the, the high echelons of uh, the greatest players. Yeah, well, it was unbelievable for us the last the last year or so, the last couple of years that he, he was there, but not unreal to the point when he went to Real Madrid. It was just it just went up a level. Whether you, know, you, you can't say that 
that football's easier in Spain. I don't know, is it easier in Spain to score goals? I don't know. Would he, If he'd have stayed in England, would he still become, would he have scored his 35 goals a season, 40 goals a season, whatever he scores now? I, I really don't know. It, it, it's too hard to say. Yeah, I, I I love the fact is that you you've said there he 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 was a better player when he left Man United. Just imagine how good you would have been then. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, wasn't that then, Rob? <laughs> on that though, Scolzi, did did a club ever come in? Were you ever close at any point? I, I go back to Seba. Seems like I'm obsessed with Seba. But was there yeah, ever a point? I was thinking that. Did you did you like Seba? I was a fan. <laughs> I was oh, a know fan. What? I, I was a big fan. I, 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 he was brilliant, so great player, great lad as well. Yeah, how long, like, uh, Chris, how long was you a fan for though? Only the one season. Oh no! Come on. <laughs> I can give you, I, I can give you his career: Sampdoria, Parma, Lazio, then of course United. But Scolzi, ever a time though, seriously, that you thought I might have to move on here? Um, never a time where I thought I'm, I have to move. I, I suppose when Seba came, that might have been a time where you think. But the manager might he might get rid of you because he's prying such a one of the best players in the world in, in my position. So there, there is a point where you where you think about it. Of course you do. Now you either sit back and and ex, accept that and think, well, look, I might have to look for another club, or you get your head down and you try hard and you you, you train as best as you possibly can and and try and show him that you're just as good at or, or if not better to to stay in the team. Um, I did, I had one phone call throughout throughout my career from Ryan Giggs' old agent, Harry Swales. It was after, it was after the Euros in, I think it was, was it Belgium? Where we, Belgium and Spa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't great, was it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but did we, beat, we beat Germany. I think we beat Germany 1-0. Yeah. Um, yeah, she looked Sherry, yeah, we, we, we wasn't great. Um, a phone call of Giggs' agent after that. I think I was on Aldi in Portugal somewhere, turning into Milan were interested. And that was it. I, I didn't hear anything else after that. Do you know what he actually told me? He said, the, um, they're willing to give you £4 million a year tax free. And that, that pinked me ears up a little bit, I must admit. <laughs> <laughs> but nah, look, as, as far as club contact and what have you, no, nah, I was never, the manager never said anything to me. In fact, in fact, sorry, <laughs> when I was 38, 37, 38, Oldham came in for me. Yeah. Oh, God. That must have been, was that a dilemma? <laughs> big dilemma, yeah, big dilemma. I think um, they just sat the manager. I think Joe Royal was still involved. And he, he ran the managers to see if I'd be um, interested in being a player manager there. <laughs> the conversation didn't last too long. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Um, do you want to be player manager? Nope. Put the phone yeah. <laughs> See you later, yeah. See you later. <laughs> that, that, that was the only offer I had, true offer I had in my career. 20 years. Was, was from Oldham Athletic to be player manager. I, I want to know as well, Scholes, and, and it's something that, that Robbie and I have spoken about, relations that, relationships that you have with a manager. You, you've spoken there about Cristiano being a special talent, and I think it's well documented that Fergie treated Eric a little bit differently from the rest of the squad. Was that the same with Cristiano? Were his methods markedly different with someone like that compared to the rest of the team in the squad? Yeah, uh, I, I would say so. You know, I think it's a lot made of the what everybody thought. Eric had the, a little bit of favoritism, but 
you know what these special players sometimes they need that. Um, and I think our, our manager changed as well because probably around Cristiano and, and some young players and a lot of foreign players coming in, they couldn't really, he had to handle them differently. They couldn't really take, you know, if they got a bollock in, if, if the man mad at them, they just, they, they didn't understand it. They couldn't get it. They're almost, they're almost crying, thinking, what, what's wrong with him? So he, he, he had to do, and I think that's a great quality of what, I'm, what of our manager, really, that through the years, he, he knew what players, he knew, he knew what, what they responded to. Now, there were some players who, you know, you give them a bollocking and, you know, you, you go mad at half time and sometimes they answer back. He, he liked that because he knew that would fire them up a little bit. Whereas some players, you give them a bollocking and all of a sudden you, you wouldn't see him again. And I think he felt that with the likes of Cristiano and Nani came in at the same time as well, that he had to handle these players differently. Uh, and he did that. And look, Cristiano, I don't, I don't think, Thinking back about Cristiano, I don't think he'd ever be one to respond to a bollocking either. You know, he was just never, whoa. It, you know, the shock on the face if he even heard the manager shout. So I, I don't think they've been brought up like that when he was in Portugal. I don't think any foreign players are really brought up like that. So, look, he had to be careful around him. But as I said, it was a quality I didn't know to get the best out of what, what was he like with you, Scholes? He was you that player. Did you have? Did you need a bollocking or did you need the harm round your shoulder? I didn't really like a bollocking, a bit to be honest, yeah. <laughs> well, um, hey, listen, none of us do, do <laughs> You know what? Yeah, some do, don't they? I, no, I'd never... I, I, I had a few. You know, some lads will say I, I didn't have any and I was like, a bit like Eric and Cristiano, but that, that's not true. I did have a few. <laughs> one in particular, Scholesy. Is there one that stands out? <laughs> I remember one at Newcastle. Playing Newcastle and Newcastle were a they were a really good team and I, I, he'd left me out actually and we were I think we were three 0 down and he, he brought me on with about twenty minutes ago maybe three 0 down we got it back to got it back to three two I'm not saying anything to do to do with me uh, I made <laughs> two chances made two goals but nothing to do with me Rob <laughs> and anyway we got it back to three two we're absolutely we're, we're absolutely flying um, creating chances. Then I tried like a, a back flick in the, on the middle of the pitch on the halfway line. They broke away and I think Shearer scored and made it 4-2. So hey, so you made three goals in that game then, Scold, yeah? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't realise that. Yeah. Anyway, I think we got it back to, we got it back to 4-3 and then in the dressing room, I'm walking in thinking oh, I made a bit of a difference to that game. I, I did okay. I had a couple of chances where I probably should have scored and he just went absolutely ballistic at me. You'll never play for this club again, and all that kind of stuff, just because I've made that mistake on the halfway line. And do you know what? I, I was never ever one to answer back. There was people that answer back. People like Giggsy always answer back. NC on the probably no Robbie loved loved to have a, a say about even Bex would have a, would have a say say something back. But I was never ever say anything back. And I don't know why for some reason. Are you allowed to swear on here, Rob? Yeah, you do what you want, mate. Yeah. And it, he's going, man. And I just, I just kept saying bollocks. So he's quietly like, what the fuck are you doing? You fucking nightmare. You're giving a ball about. I just kept saying bollocks to him. <laughs> bollocks. So was, whatever he said, I kept saying bollocks. Thinking, what the fuck are we doing? I've never said a word in my life. I'm frightened to death of the man. There's me saying this. You'll never play for this fucking club again. Bollocks. And anyway, so I'm, I'm sat on a coach on, on the way home thinking, <laughs> this is it. Bollocks. When you hey, talk bollocks. Bollocks. <laughs> bollocks, yeah. Bollocks about to look, look for a new club here. And the Monday morning, he 
come straight over to me and I thought, look, this is going to go on. He's going to find me two weeks' wage. So he, he, he said, I'm sorry. Um, I realised you, you did make a difference in the game. You know, what happened towards the end and me after the game was a bit of an overreaction. I'm sorry, but we'll, we'll just get on with it. And that, that, that was the quality of the manager. <laughs> like, you know, if, if he thought he made a mistake, he'd, you know, he'd quickly rectify it. And fortunately, he didn't make that many mistakes. I love that. That's, that's brilliant, by the way. It is amazing, Rob. You're right. What, what do you know of him, Scholesy, in the sense that on the Monday morning, he'd calmed down, he'd come in and said I was wrong. Does That that tells me, is he someone that would watch the game on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning? Would he watch it back, gather his thoughts? What do you know of the process after a defeat, what he would then do before a Monday morning? I think he'd probably watch it again. Look, I, I'm not 100% on that. It seemed like he had a photographic memory of the game. No, honestly, uh, photographic memory of, of what had happened in the game. When, when he spoke to people afterwards, he, he'd speak to people. He'd, he'd, when he's bollocking people even, he'd say, look, that, you should have been there. You should, you should have had that man or you wasn't in the right place. And the player would challenge it and he'd say, right, get, come in the morning, I'll show you on the video. So it was like a photograph. He, he knew exactly what had happened and he knew what the problem was. And he'd always challenge a player to say, come on, come and watch it with me. That's why I never challenged him, probably. Because <laughs> yeah, he'd always be right. But, yeah, look, I think he watched games. He must have watched games. He, you know, he's in his office at 7 o'clock in the morning and he'd always come out after a game, maybe just have a little individual word. There was never... I think what they do now, I don't know if Robbie does it in, in India, they always have debriefs about the game, big team meetings, whether it's in units, I don't know what. But we never had debriefs until we had, like, the car... Los Kios and Steve McLaren. He, he was never into that. He'd have a little word with you, individual, about what happened in the game sometimes. Not only just if you did badly, not if you did well, and, and what you could do better. Rob, was it the same with you, Rafa and Gerard? Were they like that? Um, yes, well, I mean, obviously, we're talking different areas per se. I think, obviously, we're, we're, where Alex, Sir Alex has come from and what he grew, grew into, the manager. Uh, look, there's no doubt he was, he was an incredible man. He's an incredible. Uh, manager um, and I, I love the fact is that you know he, he's I don't, I'm not comparing myself to anyone by any means but I do that now sometimes where you, you, you probably not have a goal plays but you'll say certain things uh, and then you'll watch the game and think well, for Christ I mean, that's not as bad as what I thought and then you do have to apologise or you think well maybe I'll you know, put my hand up and say you know, it was better than that but it takes it takes a it takes a real man to admit that doesn't he you know straight away you know, coming on to you on a Monday morning, saying, "Oh, you know, maybe I got it wrong there," and you were know, better than what I thought, and that that tells you everything that you need to know about him. You know, this is why when you are building teams, that you get the right people around you, someone who can, you know, some question you at times, someone who can give you, you know, different foresights into, you know, elements of the formations, the way other other teams are set up. Um, and to me, Sir Alex seemed to have everything boxed off. Always you're watching it from an outsider. You're, you're always heard reports, oh, he's this or he's that. This is the type of man he is, the type of manager he is. Uh, you know, by all accounts, goals, you'll tell me if I'm right or wrong here. He didn't really take that many training sessions, but his man management levels were unbelievable. And that's something that we have spoke to, uh, you know, the, the, the many people that we've had on obviously this show already I've mentioned how important man management is and Sir Alex always seemed to have that in abundance yeah that, that was his biggest strength Robbie I just said coach he, he never took a session and when the odd occasion he did it wasn't you know it wasn't <laughs> like a coach it wasn't great 
Uh, I hope he's not listening to this, by the way. Uh, he, he will. He will do Scalzi because we're number two in the charts. <laughs> hey, who's <laughs> number one? Uh, Crouchy. Oh, but, hey, but listen, we'll change now. Now you're here. We'll get to number one, won't we? <laughs> no, but probably people think about about Sir Alex and think he was, he was some kind of madman. It was always shouted and you know the famous urge and all that stuff. But when it when he got it wrong, he you know he, he told you as well. But there was only people inside the club who will probably see that that side of him. People like you and, and everybody else won't know he's. He was like that. Look, to play for, he was great. There's only, there was two things he probably demanded from his teams and every single player that he, he will always say to this day, I think. One was to have confidence. You had to have confidence to take the ball anywhere on a football pitch. You had to always go into a game being confident, knowing that you're going to, not knowing, but thinking that you're better than the opposition. And, you know, your confidence had to be sky high. If he saw that drop, he'd probably leave you out. And I think probably the most important thing, the second thing, was a will to win. If you didn't have a will to win, there was no way he was ever going to play play in his team. And he could see that every single day without coaching. He watched the games, he watched the way it was competitive, the way everyone's kicking lumps of shit out of each other to try and win a game. And that had to transfer into a into a weekend and a midweek game as well. So if you had them two qualities, he was he was happy enough with you. Scholes, he just what you're talking about there about the uh, the confidence there. So I always think back to certainly when we were in the um, like the B team just a little bit before that. You remember we would have went to uh, Northern Ireland for the Milk Cup. Yeah, and, and this always resonates with myself actually. So I, I we go over there in our tracksuits. So obviously Liverpool, Liverpool. You know, yeah. whether you whether you agree with us or not, a great team always have been. Uh, <laughs> but then you go to um, the, the the Milk Cup and we're there in our tracksuits. And I remember you was all tear up in suits. Now, I know you're going to say that, yeah. No, but but that what you're saying there about having the confidence. So that that's telling you that confident, you're confident up to wear suits, and it's it's showing you, it's showing everyone else that we are Manchester United, and and that so certainly is a your temperament straight away going to a game in a suit. Does that did that make you feel bigger than everyone else? Certainly as a young kid, or bigger and better than everyone else, or did, was that where the confidence starts from? I'd have rather wear a tracksuit any day of the week, Robbie. Everyone <laughs> uh, <laughs> comes to wear suits, but that's that's the way. That's the way he did it from day one, and, and that's the way he wanted people to see us. He wanted to see us as we were smart. We looked confident. He didn't want. And I'm not saying teams look scruffy in tracksuits but sometimes they, they can do a little bit can't they mm-hmm. so he, you know what you like with some players sometimes they wear different t-shirts it could be a nightmare can't it and he wanted us all looking exactly the same he wanted looking prim and proper like you know you, you're there with your chest out looking smart with a suit on and that's the way he wants it the amount of times we asked if we could travel in a tracksuit to European games because you're on a plane it's like that comes to not a chance he wanted you out there so everyone could see you smart and representing the football club. I'm sorry that, to that, do that. I, don't, I know what you're going to say, Chris, but that sort of brings me into what I'm going to say now. Is So think back to 1996, Scalzi. <laughs> what are these... <laughs> So we tried all that confidence stuff. It didn't really work with us. Do you know when, when you turn up at Wembley? You know, we look smart. You like a bunch of catwalk models in this. Oh, you know, you know what was bad? I, obviously, I tell this story. Anyway, you know, so we went to Wembley in our these suits. And look, we'll talk about later whose idea was to wear these suits. But we've all got these, like, cream suits on. 
And you know where at Wembley, as you know, you walk out, don't you? And then the, the crowd see the crowd yeah. see you, all the players on the pitch, and they let out, they let out this big crescendo of noise, don't they? That oh, we're here to support you, and we're going to give everything we've got at our lockers to help you today. We walked out, and no one said a word. Right? We goes into the middle of the pitch. And I honestly thought the crowd thought we were the band. They must have, oh no, it's the Liverpool team. I, they must have thought we were sitting there with Jason McAteer and Stephen Mack with the trombones, Stan Collymore with his drums. Did that have any effect on your... It, it shouldn't do really because obviously you knew what we were like no. as a team, but did that have any effect yeah. on who, who the bloody hell do these think these are? Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure there would have been a little element of that, Robbie. Like, you know, when you walk out, it's tradition, when everybody walks on a pitch before... Before the final, we walk out and see your suits, and we just think, "What the fuck are they on? What is, what is going on?" And you'd like to think, "Yeah, that might give us a bit more of a chance," but it, realistically, it doesn't. But what you're wearing shouldn't shouldn't really affect you. And I think was that a one 0 game? Is that where Eric scored in the last? Yeah, 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 that was it. Oh, it was the worst game ever, wasn't it? Oh, I actually don't remember anything other than the goal. In all honesty. Uh, yeah, I, I just remember it's the worst game ever and then it's goal, that was it. Brilliant. Ah, well, I'm glad I'm glad that because no one else remembers this goal. <laughs> Everyone only, only remembers it because we were dressed like the Beach Boys. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. Like the band. <laughs> you, you've, you've got to tell us then, Rob, whose idea were the suits? I, well, I, I think at the Gotta time... Uh, David James was sponsored by Armani. And I think he did, whether it was his decision, I don't know, but he, he was the one who maybe put us on to Armani. You know, the best thing about it is Scoldy as well. Is you know, when you get to a cup final hey, and someone will supply the suits, won't, won't they? So yeah. you get the suits for nothing. Yeah. We actually bought them as well. <laughs> <laughs> well we actually had to pay for them. Did, oh did nobody God. complain, Robert? What about the senior players with John Barnes in that squad? I, 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 think, I think they were. What about the manager? No, well, well the... If you if you if you think back to the game as well, if you see all the players going out, all the management had black suits on though, you know. So maybe they okay. should have uh, they should have caught on that and said something. But I think it was might have been one of them. Well, let, let's just let them go. If, if they're comfortable, what you were saying there before about track suits, you know, can you um, can we wear these or can we do this? Uh, yeah. You know, sometimes you go, ah, well, yeah, just to like maybe appease people or make them be yeah. as comfortable as possible. Our management were probably to giving it that. Then when he ah, it'll be all right. It'll be fine. I, I right. hate to do. I hate to do this to your schools, even <laughs> there is a tenuous link there from suits. I'm going to take you back to to May 1999 because you were wearing a suit that night, a fine grey suit that was a bit a little bit more resplendent than your cream ones, Rob. Yeah. The Champions League final. It, it's well documented. I know Kino's spoken about it in the past, saying that. That medal means nothing to him. That night was was a night that he doesn't look back on fondly. Where was your head at that night? And the aftermath of winning at Scolzi, what was the emotions that you went through as United completed the treble? Um, obviously, really pleased that we'd won the game and we completed the treble. As Roy said, you didn't feel like that you won it. You didn't feel like the medal was actually yours. You need to play in the final, I think. You could even, you could miss every game. And then playing the final and the medal, you feel like you weren't your medal, funnily enough. You know, it, it was a strange feeling. Yeah, I had a couple of weeks to get to get used to it, and, and Roy did as well. 
Roy was more influential influential at that point. He, he was the bigger miss. He was he was the leader of the team at that point. We could have we could have replaced me quite quite easily. I think we had so so many really good players. But remembering the night, it was we didn't play well at all, really. Very lucky to win it, but that, that's what we did. We, we kept going to the end, got them two great goals. And I, you know, I, I was just like a fan in the crowd. You know, we, we, we went ballistic, um, but still, there's still in the back of your mind, it's still tinged with a bit of sourness that you've not been involved in it. And you, you know, what an occasion as well. In the new camp, full new camp, probably 120,000 against one of the one of the greatest clubs in, in the world in Bayern Munich. So, but yeah, you're really disappointed. We celebrated, of course we did, but it wasn't, it wasn't full on. There's always something in the back of your mind that just didn't feel quite right about it. Scholes, you just saw it about that final and look, I think there's an element of luck involved in in, in players getting to where they are. There's, uh, obviously, teams winning you know various trophies and leagues, whatever. But you know, you know that 1990 signing season. You you just mentioned it yourself. Um, so you may be a little bit lucky in the final. You won it, uh, but do you think back to the like the FA Cup as well that year. Now, was it was that the year when Bearcamp missed a penalty? Yeah, and and all, also, was I, I don't it's know if I'm right here. Yeah, was was that the year that you just knocked us out of the third round as well? Yeah, I, I thought it was in the third, fourth. I think I think it was like a that, third round. Yeah. We, we we were one nil up oh, with Robbie, about two, minute, two, two yeah. minutes ago. We had loads and lo- loads of close shaves in that season that you look back and think, how did we get through that? Like I say, that like, I don't. Did you score? Did Michael score? Mike Michael scored. Michael Michael scored a header, I think. Yeah, and yeah. Like you say with two minutes ago, and even getting an equaliser, thinking go back to Anfield, it's still going to be difficult. And probably if we hadn't scored the second goal, which Ollie did, then look, the, the trouble might not have yeah. happened and you might have stopped us and you'd, you might smile now, Robbie. <laughs> I, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll smile anyway, Scalzi, because, uh, because, well, no, you've got me. You did your own trouble, did you, Rob? Yeah, I, I won. Yeah. yeah. Hey, listen, we're, we're happy with that one, mate. So, but I just—it's yeah. not me having a go. I just think, look, I've been—I, you know what I'm like with you, and you know how how much I respect yourselves, and you know, obviously the, the Manchester United teams. But we've had conversations in here before about how 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 important luck plays in, in in lots of things. And I mean, I've done it myself. I think back to my career. I was lucky that I, I got on and, and scored a goal. Otherwise, I mean, I, I could. Yeah. I I might not have. Being the player I was, you know, if he, if he hadn't have had that little yeah. bit of luck, you know, if, if certain a player hadn't have got injured, then you know I, yeah. I wouldn't have been where I am. So you know, you do need that element, but you know, sometimes you do make your own luck, don't you? Yeah, well, I think we all need an element of luck, as you said. You know, players coming out of a team to give you a chance, you, you've got to take that chance. There's not so much luck about that, I don't think. You did that, Robbie. Is I don't know if she was 18, 19 when you made your debut, but you just came on firing straight away and scoring goals. I came in and. I scored a goal as a centre forward. And then you have to, I think you have to have a manager that believes in you as well, believes in in young players, especially. And, you know, we, def- we definitely had that. The year we came into the team, we got rid of three of United's best, most prolific players over the last five or six years, experienced players in, in Paulins, Mark Hughes and Andre Kanchelskis. And he had some, he had three or four of us that were unknown. We'd done it in the reserves, we'd done it in the, a and B team, as you did, but you know that that's totally different once you step mm-hmm. up into a first team. Um, and the manager had faith in us, us to do that, and I think I think we paid him back. And you talk about luck as well. Luck for me, 
as well. He's playing with so many unbelievable players. You know, it's it, it makes you it makes your job so much easier when you, you know, especially as a centre midfield player. As I look at it, as as we touched on before, the centre forwards we played with were absolutely yeah. sensational. Four or five, six of them. When you, you know you've gone down into mid, into mid thirties, it was so many brilliant centre forwards, so many wide players that you know your job really was just to feed these players, and it made it so much easier for you. You talk there about uh, 1996, United selling those three players. Alan Hansen, sorry Rob, did say the famous <laughs> word. Didn't he? he said, you don't win anything with kids. Were you watching Match of the Day that night? How did that seep into the fabric of United? How was that story picked up? Because I'm sure Fergie would have used that. Uh, I, I don't think it was straight away. I probably would have watched Match of the I don't know, I used to watch Match of the Day all the time then, but I didn't play very well, so I might not have watched it that day. Um, <laughs> and we got absolutely battered by Villa, to be fair, the beat us yeah. 3-1. I think it was more towards the end of the, maybe Christmas time. But to be honest with you, I can't remember. But the comments were definitely there. We definitely knew, you know, he'd said so. And do you know what? Who would have disagreed with him at the time? He'd played four or five young players that, I'd only played reserve team football, I'd only played under 18, youth team, whatever it was. And we got absolutely battered. Aston Villa at hammered us. It wasn't even close. So everybody would, would have agreed with him. It just made it better that it was someone from Liverpool and, <laughs> say, say Liverpool from Scotland, but obviously a, a Liverpool legend, such a, a great player. And you know, thankfully we managed to prove him wrong. Brilliant. Scalzi, so you know, you talk about obviously your career, and I mean, it was a magnificent career. Uh, what made you decide to call it a day? The, the first time that you did, the first time, um, I just, I was just knackered, Robert. To be honest, we we played, um, we played Blackpool away uh, in the Premier League at, at the point we were two 0 down. I don't know if you played at Blackpool when when they were in the league. The pitch was knackered. The pitch was pitch was a mess, and I just felt. I just felt like I couldn't move. Honestly, I just... And I was never, as I said, I was never a great athlete. Anyway, I didn't always get around the pitch, but it, we were 2-0 down after half an hour or something. Couldn't move. I just... I, while I was actually playing, I think this is the... I, I just... I'm going to have to call it at the end of the season. I don't know if it was around January, February times. So we were talking about... Well, the manager was talking about a contract for, for the season after he, he thought I could play possibly 15, 20, 25 games... And to be honest with you, I was never one who could prepare properly. You know, mm-hmm. if you're playing once every three weeks, you know how awkward it can be. Yeah. And I was never, I was never one to just take a couple of days off. If I was going to the training ground, I wasn't going to go and have a massage. I wasn't going to go in the gym. I wasn't going to go in the swimming pool. I just wanted to train. Just wanted to play football every day. So I, I couldn't prepare myself properly to play every three weeks. But so some like Giggs, Giggs could do it perfect. He, he had it off to a tee. Um, he, he liked to stay and he liked to have a stretch and a massage every couple of days and he, he could manage himself better than I could but I couldn't and I just felt I was 35 I was a 36 at the time maybe anyway I thought look I, I've done alright there's some really good young midfield players coming through like Fletcher coming through and gave old Tom Clever at the time and I just thought look that's it I've I, I don't want to be here just being a bit part player I want to be fully part of it and decided that was enough. So so when you when you called the dead end scolds, so did you go and um start coaching the, the, the youth teams, the reserve teams? 
Well, I, I had a bit of time off first, but the manager said to me he wanted me to come back with Warren Joyce and do the under-23s. I think the under-21s at that point. Um, so I had a bit of time off. I spent the full summer with the kids, which was great. Something you'd not done for mm-hmm. 20 years. So I did that. I came back in. I think it started September the 1st with Warren. And do you know what? We had a really good bunch of uh, under-21 players. They were brilliant. You know, a lot of them have gone on to have great careers. Pogba was one of them. Jesse Lingard, these types of players. And I wasn't that sure if I wanted to do any coaching. I wasn't, I was just doing it because the manager asked me to do it and wanted me to do it. So I, was, I wasn't sure if I wanted to and I ended up just training with them every day. Joyce was, Joyce, I don't you won't know Joyce, but Joyce is a bit of a control freak anyway, so he didn't really let you do I, any coaching. I, I, actually, I actually do know Joyce, actually. Great lad, Joyce, he's a great yeah. coach. He's brilliant, brilliant with young players. He's doing great at Salford now. And I loved his training. So all I did every day was train, trained with him. I felt as fit as a, as I ever have done, really. And you'll go around the club and everyone in the club, in different team, U team, first team, reserves, Joyce's team were always the fittest. His training was so hard. Um, it was so difficult, you know, man to man, running at the end every single day. They were by far the fittest team. And we got to Christmas time and the first team was struggling, really, Robbie. Um, in, in central midfield, that, they were, you know, they were they were really struggling apart. I think, I think Fabio de Silva, you know, one of the twins, yep. was centre midfield with, I think Phil Jones might have even been centre midfield at the time. We played Blackburn at home and and we got beat. And I was tra- I was training really well. I said I've done some running with one of the young lads on the morning of the game before we went out to the Old Trafford and watch. And I was keeping up with him. And as I said, I felt as fit as a. I'd ever done and I said to Joyce I fancy playing again I just want to play uh, did, Joyce, did Joyce you start laughing because that's what I when I said I want to play everyone just started laughing at me <laughs> no, he, no to be fair he was good he, he said go for it and like you say I think I've been thinking about it for a few weeks but you're scared of people's reaction yeah. you don't know what they're going to do um, and, and most of all I was obviously scared of the manager's reaction because he's the one who he has to pass it. So I, I, I spoke to Phil Neville a bit about it. I spoke to Gary Neville a little bit about it. And uh, Gary had retired obviously earlier than that. And he, he just said, go and see him. Well, first of all, I went to see McFeelan, who was assistant manager, knocked on his door. I, Do you know what? You're shitting yourself, Robbie. You've you no idea what their reaction's going to be. You think, what, I've got a 37-year-old player who couldn't really run three years ago, or couldn't run 10 years ago, let alone three years ago. And, and he's asking to come back and play. Um, so I went into Mick and Mick said, yeah, I think it's a great idea, um, which I was shocked at, surprised. <laughs> but so then I just had one more hurdle to get over and that was that was obviously the biggest one in the manager. So I think he, he got in about half seven in the morning. I, I've been there from about seven o'clock, so I was didn't sleep thinking about it. And knocked on his door. I said, Gaffer, I, I fancy playing again. And... I tell you, within 30 seconds, he was on the phone to David Gill. So I think it's a great idea. He rang David Gill and we sorted the contract and I think I signed it the day after. Brilliant. Love that. Because what you're saying there, Scalzi, as well, uh, when, um, was when Brendan Rodgers was that a Liverpool manager and I think I, I might have been in Australia. I don't even know where I was, actually. Australia or Thailand, I don't even know. Mate, a little <laughs> bit of a different level to what you were doing, but I was trained. It was all right. And uh, Liverpool were, were at the time were maybe struggling for God. And I actually sent yeah. Brendan Rodgers a message saying, uh, 
<laughs> if you want me to come out of retirement, uh, not retire, if you want me to come over and play, you know, and I won't even get paid, I- I'll I'll gladly do it. He never replied to me. <laughs> <laughs> I just got a message back saying, who's this? <laughs> Not very nice of him, is it? Oh, no. Scolzi, tell me about your, uh, obviously, your, your comeback then on your, obviously, your first game was, or your first game <laughs> on the return was Man City. Is that right, the story, but you had to buy your own boots as well? Yeah, yeah. Well, for some reason, I don't know why the manager didn't want, didn't want anybody to know about it. I don't know why. There was, a, there was I think I told, I'd asked him if we could come back on the, the Sunday or the Monday before that game. Um, and the reserves were due to play on the Thursday night at Newcastle and I was going to play in that game but it got called off so people would have you know, they got the gist of it then obviously but I couldn't I had no boots with coaching we just had the old you know the standard yeah. shitty pair of black knight boots that, that, that the clubs hand out but I couldn't tell my sponsor I didn't have a sponsor at that time obviously but when I finished playing it was night. So I couldn't tell Knight that I needed a pair of boots for the game because obviously people caught on on. For some reason, the manager didn't want people to know. So I went to my local DW. <laughs> I think it was called D... It might have been called JJB, then I can't, I can't remember. And uh, I, haven't, I haven't bought a pair of boots for 20 years. So I didn't know what, what price they were or anything. I think I bought a pair for about, <laughs> for about 45 quid. Oh, so, you, so, you, so you got the cheaper ones then as well? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm telling you. I had no idea. Boots were 120 quid. Well, 20 quid for a pair of boots. So I, I bought the ones with 45 quid, but I, I didn't know they were cheap ones. It wasn't until I started warming up in the game and Johnny Evans said, so they're the side ones. No, I don't know. Are they, are they the plastic ones? You know, five quid. <laughs> said, yeah, they, they must be the ones, yeah. But anyway, getting to the game, and the day before, I'd still not trained with the first team. I didn't train with them at all. I was still training with Warren Joyce's team. And the manager said, look, just come Saturday. I'll have you sub on Sunday, but come as a staff member. So I was dressed in all the staff gear. And we stayed at the Lowry Hotel. I sat on the staff table even had a glass of red wine with the manager having something to eat. Um, and it was just like as a staff member and I, I'm feeling a dick because I know I've got to get to the game tomorrow. He's going to announce me as so and people are going to come out. I'm like, fuck, I'm not crying. No, but, uh, I shouldn't be swearing there, really. Sorry, sorry lads. Anyway, so we, we get to the game and he, he, the kit's laid out and he, he announces me as sub. And that's when, to say, you get a little bit embarrassed. Everyone's looking at you. I knew you were up to summer. I knew you were doing summer. So... I got a minute that way and then the game came along. We were 3-0 up. I was sub, obviously, 3-0 up with about 20 minutes ago. So the gaffer thought it was safe, safe to put me on. I remember actually warming up and I was thinking, what what am I doing? Uh, I've got away. Oh, I know I, want, I wanted this back, but that feeling of coming back of nervousness and you know, having the pressure on you was was a sure I really wanted that again. And David Platt was that assistant manager and he... He said to me, what, what the fuck are you doing? You know, <laughs> that way. And do you know what? I, I couldn't speak. I just wanted to say to him, look, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, but it's got a fuck all to do with you. <laughs> I'm just thinking about, <laughs> I'm just thinking about getting on that pitch and not making a dick of myself. And anyway, we're three nil up. Vincent Company had been sent off, shocking tackle. And I, I give the ball away, they scored. About five minutes later, it was three two. So I'm, I'm panicking, like, marking, what what the hell have I done? And anyway, I did all right. I managed to keep the ball a little bit against the 10 men and we managed to just scrape through. But the rest of that season was great. I, I, I felt really good. We, 
obviously we know what happened with the league. I think it, I think that was the year that Aguero did that thing. That, um, he shouldn't have done against QPR. And then I should have really, really, honestly, should have stopped then. That, that, that was enough, really. My legs, that, <laughs> after that, we, I think the second game of the next season where, you know, me and manager decided that I'd, I'd have another year. We played against Tottenham at home and Gareth Bale was a young player <laughs> and flying. Now, look, I want to got him, like, near him in me when I was 21, <laughs> 22 anyway. But now, <laughs> he just kept fucking, he just kept walking past me. And just look at oh, what what am I doing? What am I doing? And we got beat three two. I did all right, but I just remember after that game, I think I, I was in the ice bath for a week. Honestly, <laughs> Robert, lads, I, I I couldn't move. I, I was in so much pain. And at that point, I wanted to go to the manager and say, "Look, <laughs> there's no way I can do it. I can't go through a full season. It's only the second game of the season." But you know, after what had happened a couple of years ago, there's no way I could do it again. So I just tried my best to get through it and. Thankfully, we won the league. I, I didn't participate that much in, you know, I had a few injuries, especially towards the end of the season, but we brought Van Persie in that year and he was sensational and he, he took us on to win the league. And then, of course, Fergie, that year, uh, Fergie decides to, to quit schools. He, had you had any wind of it before the rest of the squad had wind of it? And your emotions as he as he broke the news to the squad that I'm leaving this football club? Um, no, I, I don't think we'd had any wind of it. Um, he'd obviously a few years ago, if prior to that, I'd I'd planned to retire, but but changed his mind, and then I think just one day I, I can't remember how far it was from the end of the season, but he just came into the dressing room and he was dressed as smart as he was and knocked on the door and he came in and just told everyone that that was it. He was he was finished at the end of the season and it, it was quite emotional actually. He looked a little bit emotional at the time, but well that's it happens, isn't it? At some point, we all have to move on. Yeah, it's amazing that. Brilliant. Scholes, you been brief. Obviously, before you uh, before you go, Scholes, can we just ask you about the current Manchester United team? Obviously, with yeah. the um, with how good they are at the minute, you know they are playing really well. Um, and obviously, myself and Chris are going to have a little bet at the minute if Sue finishes higher, Liverpool or Man United. <laughs> I'm going for Liverpool. I'm going to cut out, but it's. Is is I mean the obvious answer is yes, and, and I know you're not the type of person to throw the boot, the boot in anyway. But is all like the is he the man to bring the glory days back to Man United or? Well, it's a little bit of a bit of an horrible question, but I know that. But no, yeah, I know what you're saying, and the, the, the question's justified. We just don't know. I think what he's done so far has been very good from from where we've been, Robbie, for the last you know before the five years before he came in you felt you was going absolutely nowhere. The, the football was, it, it was terrible to watch at times. We, we could hardly create a chance. But you see what Ollie's done. I think he's at least brought an excitement back, back to the club where you know in the forward areas of the pitch, especially we've got the, the talent there. You know, the signer Fernandez scores goals, he makes goals, Rashford, Greenwood, Martial, Cavani. Them, them four or five forwards, Robbie, should be good enough. Yeah, I'm not saying it should be good enough to to win the league. Yeah, I still think. Do you know what? As forward players, it probably should be good enough to compete to win the league. Yeah. It's what's behind them that's a little bit a little bit of a worry. The the biggest worry about the team for now is, well, they got to the top of the league. They went to Liverpool, and you know, <laughs> a Liverpool team that we didn't realise was struggling as much as they were for the next few games and didn't capitalise on you missing missing out on your best players, just not your best players, but 
obviously Van Dijk one of your best players but missing out on your centre-backs and it should have been a game we went for it just felt like United lacked a little bit of belief in, in that position to go on and beat a big team and and then go and challenge for the league. But I, I don't think they're that far away. I, th- I think if, if if they do need anything, I think they need two centre-halves. Well, maybe not two centre-halves, but definitely one centre-half who's, who's a dominant centre-half. You look at the teams that have won the league the last few years, look at Vincent Company, great leader for Man City, brilliant defender. And and with your, with your lads, with Van Dyke, you now he's been a, a great leader, a great centre-half, nice and relaxed. And United, I don't think they quite have that I think if they can get that, I don't think they'll be far away. Scholes, can I give you my 10 pence for what it's worth anyway in terms of Man United? I think they're probably similar to the, what we were in the 90s with Liverpool. Obviously a very good team on our day and we could beat anyone. But when it came to the, the crunch, we, we sort of lost against teams who we should have been beaten. Yeah. I think that's what Man United's problem is now. So they will compete against Liverpool. They will compete against City, you know, Chelsea, all these top teams. Yeah. But then they'll They'll, they'll lose to like a Palace or they'll lose to, to Sheffield or, United. Or West Brom. Yeah. yeah, Sheffield United. So, so yeah. I mean, you've got maybe another 29 years of this, mate. So, <laughs> <laughs> not a chance, Rob. Not a chance. <laughs> but you know, I always felt like you write about your Liverpool team, your great team, brilliant team, really talented team. But I always felt it always seemed like you'd go on like a four or five game spell where you just mess, every, mess everything up. And it just played into our hands. And you're right, this team, they are, they are a bit like that, aren't they? You have to say, I think they won in the last five games after going top of the yeah. league. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's exactly that type of stuff, which but you can't win leagues like that. Can you? you need to have a level of consistency right through. And, and winning big games is massive, isn't it? You know, beating a Liverpool, beating a Man City, them games are massive. And United just haven't quite managed to do like that. Watch this space. I mean, I just want to get quickly your thoughts, Rob, because Scozy, you've said they're a centre half. As a United fan, I completely agree. Where my frustrations come for, it's a bit unfair to single out one. Anthony Martial is a player that I pull my hair out on a weekly basis. He looks like Brazilian Ronaldo one week. He looks like <laughs> not the Brazilian Ronaldo the next. Rob, as a striker, as a striker, he, look, he looks like a different Brazilian. <laughs> 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 very well put but as a striker Rob you must watching Anthony bless that young man but consistency is just not there yeah it, it's proven isn't it I think that's the uh, I mean Scalzi alluded to um, you know conversations that we had earlier the, the best players are the ones who consistently do it week in week out whereas there's no, there's no doubt that you know Anthony Martial's got a lot of quality, but the consistency levels that he's got is just not good enough. Uh, and to be that player who, who want to take Manchester United from from here to there, you need to be performing week in week out. And unfortunately, he is not that man. He, Scorsi, he, do, he fancy, just lacks. Yeah, he does. Are you going to go and get those DW boots on, Scorsi? <laughs> come back again. We could do with you again. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go out. To, I'm going to go out to India. Uh, not, not United. I'm coming out there with Robbie. Look, looking at Robbie's tan, I'm getting myself out there. Hey, Scalzi, you'll melt over here. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and other things as well. In all fairness, you are probably still better than everyone out here anyway. Don't worry about that. <laughs> not a chance.
<laughs> M- management schools, he just obviously looking at Rob with that tan. Management, you're going to come back <laughs> one day, right? This won't take. This won't take long, will it? <laughs> he he uh, gets a suntan <laughs> opening the fridge uh, door, Scaldy. <laughs> 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 uh, management. You know what? I, I actually, I liked it. I enjoyed it. Just the circumstances <laughs> made sure it didn't carry on for very long. But obviously, did the sulfur thing again for the three weeks, which was good. But I, I don't think so. I really don't think so. We, yeah. You never know. Um, but I really don't. Scholes, in my advice here is, I think the game needs you, mate. So you get back in as soon as yeah. possible, mate. The game needs you. Cheers, Rob. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Absolute pleasure. Paul Scholes, what a legend. Scholes, an absolute star, mate. Thanks very much. No worries. Cheers, lads. All the best. Cheers, Scholes. All the best, Rob, over there. Cheers, lads. Cheers, mate. This is the Robbie Fowler Podcast. Powered by McDonald's. McDonald's McCafe. Great tasting coffee. Simple. Dubai Eye 103.8. Paul Scholes there. Robbie, episode seven. A Man United legend and everything that I expected. He's, he's, he's candid as old Scholes, uh, you know what? I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I, it's probably a side to to him that not not a lot of people see, is it? Absolutely. I mean, my teeth nearly fell out saying that. To be fair, but I just um, I mean I I like him as a lad. I think he's brilliant. I mean, wonderful player, uh, wonderful lad as everyone can see and hear now, uh, and and the way he speaks. And that's you know I'm not like giving him the, the, the bee's knees and saying he's this and that. But I think the game does need players like him to stay, to keep involved because obviously the knowledge he's got, I mean, he's got everything, hasn't he? Uh, and for what oh. he's he's can bring to the game still, I think there's players like him should be still involved. I just wonder, one of the things I took out of that little chat with Scholesy is the fact that he never complained. He, he didn't feel the need or it wasn't in his nature did you complain once or twice in your career, Rob? I complain. I, can, I complained all the time. Adam, <laughs> I, Adam still complaining all the time. Yeah. Now, don't worry. And it's hitting the wallet, is what it is, Rob. Oh, oh yeah, I'm having, I'm having a tough time, Christopher. To be fair, so uh, listen. Episode seven in the can, the Robbie Fowler podcast, available to download all your usual haunts. Our YouTube page as well, our YouTube channel. It's ticking up nicely. I feel like we need to send a big, massive fat check to Stephen Gerrard. He's done his work for us, Rob. Yeah, hey, hey, listen, he delivers. He is he the man who delivers, isn't he? Hopefully the Rangers fans download this podcast because they are in their masses downloading all of our editions. Jurgen Klopp, Graham Souness, Sir Kenneth Dalgleish. You've got Joey Barton in there. You can add the name of Paul Scholes. And surely episode eight is the time for me to deliver, Rob. I promise you I will do it next week, OK? Yeah, are you, are you, are you promising there, Christopher? Yeah. I am promising. Oof. Another another United legend, hopefully. <laughs> Liverpool fans do stay with us. Liverpool fans will stay with us anyway just for you, Rob. You are God to them. Well, I've been called West, to be fair. Exactly. Well, listen, Rob, I'm looking forward to catching up with you next week. Uh, the Robbie Fowler podcast. Do give us a subscription. Do give us a rating as well. We do value your time and your company with us on a Monday or whenever you are listening to this podcast. But, Rob, stay safe. Be nice to the referees in India. And I'll catch up with you again next week. See you soon, pal. This has been the Robbie Fowler Podcast. Powered by McDonald's. Hear it again and more of our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.